Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Today we are continuing in our series on Isaiah and we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm calling this message undone. Can you think of a time in your life when you were undone? Uh, when you were exposed or embarrassed or ashamed? When I was in middle school, I was on the junior varsity soccer team and coach had told us for weeks that picture day was coming up. The team picture, which was going in the school yearbook, was going to be taken on a Wednesday. And though games were never played on Wednesday, it was important for this particular Wednesday that we all bring our jersey to school that day so that we'd be ready after school to take that team photo. When the faithful day arrived, right after school, as soon as I hit the locker room and I saw all the guys taking out their jersey, my heart sank. Of course, I had forgotten mine. And this was in a time long before cell phones and long before helicopter parents who swooped in and made all our problems disappear. Uh, no, there was nothing for me to do but be filled with embarrassment, mortified. There was nothing to do. As I stood in that photo, everyone else had their jersey on. I had an old t-shirt. It was the wrong color and everything. There I am as a middle schooler thinking the whole world is going to see this. All I could ponder was my future, what might have been, and now what never could be. I knew that years from now, when I began dating, no woman would ever want to, to marry me. Not, not with this lack of jersey, if by some miracle I was able to have a family for generation after generation, my children and my children's children would be filled with shame looking at this photo in the yearbook thinking, Dad, you weren't probably, you weren't even really on the team. You weren't even good enough to earn a jersey. Now, here's what's funny about that and what's not funny about that. What's funny about that is that on the one hand, though the shame I felt in that moment was real, I can laugh about it now. It's, it's nothing to me. It, it's ridiculous, all right? I've lived more life. I've realized there's a lot bigger things in life than forgetting your jersey on picture day. My, my security doesn't rest in whether or not I had a jersey on the junior varsity soccer team picture uh, from all those years ago. So there's a lot that's funny about that story and how serious you know you take it when you're in the moment. Here's what's not funny about that. What's not funny is I can tell myself that I have put away childish things, that I have outgrown ever feeling completely undone, that I've, that I've outgrown caring what other people think about me or that, that uh, I, I no longer put my security in things like that. I can tell myself that. But the fact is, I have merely transferred that to other areas of my life. I can tell myself I no longer put my security in whether or not I have the right jersey on, but maybe I'm putting my security in other things. Surely, I am not the only person who knows what that feels like. Surely, I'm not the only one uh, who understands that. Surely there are some of you who understand what it feels like to care so much about what other people think or what certain people think so much that you're, you're paralyzed by that, paralyzed to, to just be yourself, to, 
to, to earn that approval of a parent or a, a boss or a coworker or a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend and to feel like you never earn it. To be filled with shame over some secret, to, to feel like if your secret sins are revealed or exposed, you'll finally be revealed for being a fraud and that people will not love you. you to be filled with guilt over something you've done and not know how to move past it. For some, it's their work and for some, it's their family. Uh, to, to be exposed is not being that perfect parent. You'd be undone to, to have your family uh, uh, be seen in that light or for your work to fall apart. That's everything to you. It's your security or, or, or maybe your reputation. Your use of social media for many of you has led you to a place where you're constantly on. You have no real ability to disconnect. Why? because you always have to maintain appearances. You're always on, you're always having to put on that mask. This coming undone, this feeling utterly helpless, this sense that the glue that holds your life together has somehow evaporated, that happened to the prophet Isaiah. These sound like very modern problems. They sound like very modern, maybe psychological problems. They're not, they're ancient. They go to the heart of who we are. And often the solution that's put forth is to look inside yourself. And while there may be some good from self-awareness and analysis, Isaiah's experience says, no. No, what we need is not just to look inside ourselves. We need to look somewhere else. In fact, at someone else. And we're going to see the solution to this coming undone is equally ancient. Now let's look at it. Tur turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, where the prophet himself was undone. Look, look at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, uh, let me just pause right there. The King Uzziah represented for uh, uh, the, the Judah and Jerusalem, th this represented a great stability. They had had relative peace for 52 years, national security. Things were looking up, things were, were pretty good. Now King Uzziah is dead. Uh, the nation is in a, in a downward spiral. What, what are we going to do? Our king is dead. Our national security is gone. The earthly throne is empty. What are we going to do? In fact, Isaiah may have even been in the temple where he saw this vision. He may have had the vision in the temple. He may have gone there to pray for a new king. The throne is empty. And when his heart is sad that the throne is empty, what does he see? I see the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What's the point of this first verse? Isaiah wants you to see this in this vision. He wants you to see that when it looks like the earthly throne is empty, never for one minute is the throne of heaven empty. That God is on his throne. And it says what? He saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, not crawling aboard the throne, not coming to the throne saying, oh, what did I miss? The throne's been vacant. I was on a break. Uh, you know, what, what's going on? No, God's never been late. God is sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Who are the seraphim? These are the heavenly beings, the angels. I like to say these are God's navy seals his warriors, his messengers who carried out his bidding. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Now, these heavenly creatures, God is so holy, apparently they had to cover their face to even look upon God. How holy is the Holy One that these heavenly creatures had trouble looking at him? Well, verse three, listen to what the angels call back and forth. 
And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, they didn't have a way to emphasize in the scrolls. When they wanted to show emphasis, it's not like in the scrolls they could highlight. Uh, they couldn't underline. Uh, they couldn't say, well, this is in all caps or, you know, <laughs> change it to sort of Helvetica font or something like that. No, when they wanted to show emphasis, they would repeat. So there's a psalm, for example, where they're trying to talk about pure gold. And so in the Hebrew, it's gold, gold. See, the repetition shows it's pure gold, gold, gold. In Genesis, they, there were these like pits everywhere, these tar pits. And uh, the Hebrew is they're pits, pits. Like, like trying to show everywhere. There's only one place in the Hebrew Bible where something's repeated three times. There's a noun to show this emphasis. And it's right here. God is holy, holy, holy. What is the holiness of God? Think of it this way. The holiness of God is his godness in all of his attributes, works, and ways. In other words... And this thought should give us chills. In other words, God is not the best creature we know. No, no, no. God's not like at the top of some order. God is not in that category. God is completely other. Sometimes when people think of God, there's a kind of familiarity there. I heard one guy say, listen, when I die, I'm going to be okay because me and the man upstairs, we got us an understanding. To which I always say, I'm sure you do. To you and the man upstairs, I'm sure you'll be fine. Because the man upstairs is an image of your creation. That's a figment of your imagination. And it's funny, the gods we create in our minds, we're always cool with. Of course we are, we made them. But the God who made you, that'll stop you in your tracks. That, that, that one is holy other, that <laughs> separate, set apart, holy, holy, holy. And look, the whole earth is full of his glory. We'll come back to that. The whole earth is full. No, nowhere you can go to escape that. And the foundations, as, as they're singing this holy, 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 this antiphonal choir back and forth, the foundations of the thresholds shook. When, when there's an earthquake, you go to the foundations, you go to the thresholds, you go to the strong places. Well, the strong places are shaken at, at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. L let me ask you a question. How loud? I, I can imagine something being so loud that stuff shakes. I can imagine that. What I cannot... I, I get it. I, I understand, you know, the concept of earthquakes and thresholds shaking. I can get with this. Something so loud that something shakes. I'm all about, I, I get earthquakes. My last name is Richter. I, I got that. No problem. What I cannot get my head around is not the shaking, but the volume of this voice so loud, I cannot imagine a sound so loud that stuff catches fire. Now that's some volume. Well, that volume, that that roaring. I remember being at Yankee Stadium years ago and the first game back in the World Series after 9-11, F-15 fighter jets did a flyby. I'll never forget that as long as I live. That shaking, that terror in that moment. Well, here's what I want you to see. And maybe you've experienced a sound that's that loud, that that's filled with, with terror. Here's what I want you to see. That voice that is so loud that stuff shakes and stuff catches fire, that voice, yeah, that's not even God's voice. That's one of his little creatures that he made. So, so God hasn't even spoken yet and stuff's catching fire. 
The other thing I want you to notice is not only the, 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 the terror when you realize God is not in any category of, of you know, order of being. He's completely, he made all of us, uh, that he knows us better than we know him. The other thing I want you to see is that filled with smoke. Remember the verse before this? The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole house is filled with smoke. When those F-15 fighter jets flew over us in Yankee Stadium that day, I, um, my friends told me that my reaction was, um, and I don't think this is fair, they described my reaction as um, cowardly. Uh, that I ducked and tried to climb under the bleachers and, you know, uh, used, uh, you know, uh, 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 human shields to protect me. Uh, here's the point. I just wanted to get away. I wanted to somehow cower. And I, I remember thinking there's got to be somewhere to hide. Um, that's just it. There's nowhere to hide. His glory fills the whole earth. Now, listen to me carefully. If, if you've ever been under the conviction of God, if you're watching this right now and you just think, God's speaking to me, I, I just need to get away. I need to escape. Where are you going to go? The whole earth is filled with his glory. The house is filled with smoke. Now, for a season, you may be able to distract yourself. Maybe you've, you're watching this video and you think, well, I can just pause this or uh, this is getting too real. I'll just move on. Listen, ultimately, People don't like to talk about hell and the terror of hell. And I understand why, of course, this should give us tremendous pause. It's with gravity of heart that we talk about something like hell. But listen to me carefully. Ultimately, if you continue to reject the presence of God, if you say, I just wanna go somewhere where there is no God, the only place reserved where there is no God, that's hell. That's the definition of what hell is. Terrible. Because the whole house was filled with smoke. The whole earth was full of his glory. So this, this unimaginable uh, uh, you know, presence of God kind of holiness, what does the prophet say to this? What is the human response to all this? Does the prophet say, Whoo, that's so nice to be in the presence of God. This is, just, this is just great. This is just like being in a friend's house. This, no, 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 no. He says, look at verse five, he's undone. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. The old King James, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah realizes, before all this holiness, I'm going to be consumed. You know, over the years, we've got it twisted. We think as worshipers, if we're not careful, we start to think of worship as a product we consume. We say things like, I really got a lot out of that worship today, or I really enjoyed that. I really liked that sermon. I really liked that song. I love this preacher. I, I like these singers. We treat worship as a commodity as if we consume. <laughs> Real worship is about being consumed. It's an awareness that, wait a minute. God, and there is a holiness factor here that to be before God, to look upon God, the Old Testament, he knew to look upon God is to die. To be utterly obliterated. He says, woe is me. Remember, for the first five chapters of Isaiah, he's been calling down woe, the curse on God's people. Judah and Jerusalem, woe is you, Judah. Woe is you, Jerusalem. Now he says, and it's, it's not just that I'm calling down this curse on all these other uh, people. It's on me too. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. It's not just you. It's me. Isaiah had this apprehension of who God is. Now, why does he say, I'm a man of unclean lips? Isn't that curious? 
Why is he talking about lips? Why not? I'm a man of unclean ears. I've been, I've been listening to bad things. Unclean feet. I've been going in bad directions. Unclean deeds. Why didn't he say, I'm a man of unclean thoughts? Here's why. I think. Because Isaiah was a prophet. Now follow me here. He was a preacher. Lips to a preacher are like uh, feet to a ballet dancer are like uh, lips to a preacher are like the arm of an MVP baseball pitcher with a perfect fastball. It's the best. It represents the best of what he brings. Lips to a preacher are like the fingers of a master piano player. Lips to a preacher represent the best of what he can offer to God. It's his pride and joy, his livelihood. If Isaiah has ever done anything good, Isaiah has probably done some bad things in his life, but he's ever done anything good. I've been your preacher, God. I've been your prophet. Here's the point. When we behold the holiness of God, we realize even the best we have to offer God is filthy rags. Can you ponder that? The holiness of God does not just make him repent of his sins. We all do that. He repents even of his righteousness. What do I mean by that? That's why he's coming apart. That's why like the, every life has this glue that holds us together, right? We come back to it. We reveal what that is when we say things like, well, at least I... So let me see if I can give some examples. You'll hear people say, well, I may not do this and I may not do that, but at least I'm a feller who's always honest. Ah, that's the glue. Your honesty needs to be repented of. Even your honesty is filled with wickedness. Or we say, well, I may not have done that, may not have done that, but I, I always, you know, try to say my prayers. That's right. And even your prayers are as filthy rags. Well, I may not have done this, I may not have done that, but, but I'm always a loyal guy. That's right. And even your loyalty is as filthy rags before God. Do you see the point? That's why Isaiah's coming apart. He's realizing the inadequacy of even the best of what he has to offer God. In the 1700s, a preacher named George Whitfield put this so bluntly that I will not repeat the words of this 1700s sermon. Uh, it's, uh, I just can't repeat them. I can clean them up and censor them and give them to you here. The 1700s preacher uh, put it this way, George Whitfield. He says, before you can get the peace of God, you've got to come to a point that you see God may send you to hell for the best prayer you ever prayed. You see what he's saying? He says, you've got to be brought to see that all your righteousness, filthy rags. And then he says, George Whitfield, I don't know what you may say, but I know I can't even pray without sinning. I can't preach without sinning. He says, even my repentance needs to be repented of and my tears washed in the precious blood of my Redeemer. Isn't that something? A person's, a moral person's repentance is full of guilt. But what he's saying is, Listen, he, he's brought to a point where he's utterly undone. He's saying, even the best I have to offer God is filthy rags, which means what? Which means all the prophet realizes before the holiness of God, all I have to bring before God is nothing. That's right. That's exactly right. At that point, when you behold the holiness of God, you have nothing. And when nothing is the only thing you can offer God now, God is pleased. When it comes to grace, the only thing you need is nothing. And you'd be amazed at how long it takes us prideful people to get to the point of nothing. 
But when it comes to grace, need is all you need. All you need is nothing. It's easy to say, well, but I'm preaching for the glory of God and for the love of people. Really? God sees the heart. God sees motives. Oh, but I'm doing all these good deeds. I know. God sees. So he strips the prophet down. He's undone, but he doesn't leave us there. There's good news. How does God interact with humans without consuming us in his holiness? That blessed word, atonement. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Mm. What is the altar? The altar is, of course, the place of sacrifice. Imagine a lamb being sacrificed there on the altar and some of the blood from that lamb as the coals burn up that altar, some of the blood of that lamb drops down and drips on that coals out of the place of darkness from the altar. Look at verse 7. He takes that coal where the blood of the lamb had touched and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Even that place of where, where he's repenting, I'm unclean lips. He says, not now. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Isaiah had had a theoretical view of the grace of God, but it was the holiness of God. When the grace of God met the holiness of God, Isaiah forever changed. Sin atoned for. Guilt taken away. So what happens next? I'm going to bring this message to a close. What happens next? Well, verse 8, Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I can't help myself. Pause. Trinity. Okay? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? One in three. Uh, uh, three, three in one. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Now, I... God asks for a volunteer without giving the job description. Who of us would do that? Hey, I need a volunteer for a job. Okay, great, send me. Wouldn't you want to know what it is first? Isaiah volunteers, then he finds out what he's just volunteered for. Look now, look at verse 9 and 10. Okay, what kind of job do you want? And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. In other words, I want you to preach and no one is going to listen to you. In fact, the more you preach, the harder their hearts are going to get. And it's going to be absolutely miserable, absolutely awful. I want you to do that for your whole life long as a career. So Isaiah asked naturally, verse 11, then I said, uh, how long, O oh Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Can you imagine? God says, I got a job. I need a prophet. You're going to spend 30 years preaching to people who will despise you, ridicule you. You will get no support or affirmation. And in fact, church tradition tells us that at the end of his life, Isaiah was cut in two with a saw. He was martyred. You'll be an absolute professional failure. No one will listen to you. Your, uh, all the hearts will be hardened and uh, it will end in judgment and the cities will be utterly desolate and uh, there'll be a great exile. Any volunteers? And Isaiah, go back to verse eight. I love this. Isaiah, me, here I am, send me. Really, you're gonna take a job where you'll be a professional failure? Listen to me carefully. 
Isaiah is no longer worried about being a professional failure. He's already been exposed as a failure in one sense by the holiness of God. So he's got nothing to lose. All he cares about is God now. He's consumed with God. He cares about God more than he cares about anything else. Do you know how liberating the holiness of God would be in your life? Do you know how liberated you, you would be if you knew the holiness of God and the grace of God like that? That's what you're being invited to today. To say, I've seen the Holy One of Israel. That's all I care about. That's all I'm living for. Do you have any idea how freeing that would be? As we close, I want you to keep this application in mind. Maybe write this down if you're a note taker, if you're taking notes. I put it this way just to try to be memorable. Once you're undone by the holiness of God, you'll be done with the fear of man. Once you're undone by the holiness of God, you'll be done with the fear of man. What do I mean by that? Go back to those examples I started the message with. You care so much about what other people think about you. Once you're undone by the holiness of God, that stuff fades away. You care what God thinks. Some filled with shame that they're going to be exposed by God's grace. You can say, I've already been exposed on Calvary's cross. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You no longer have anything to prove. To those who are so tied up by their work or their family, they think, my security rests here. You can say, no, it it doesn't. No, it doesn't. If these things were to fall apart, it's not, at least I have my morals. At least I have my righteousness. At least I have my good values. At least I have my family. At least I have my job. At least I have this or at least I have that. No, my bottom line is God. That's all Isaiah cared about. It's all all the apostle Paul wanted. It's all... These these mature believers, they've been undone by the holiness of God. And now it's all that matters. No longer do they have to care about the likes on their social media or their always being on or putting on a mask. I mean, let me put it this way. If I could go back to that middle school soccer player, that JV soccer player who forgot his jersey, I'd go back in time. I'd say to that kid, Tom, buddy, (laughs) it's going to be okay. And here's why. You forgot your jersey. You forget stuff all the time. But you are never forgotten. You're never forgotten by him. Your security doesn't rest in your ability to remember your jersey on game, uh, on picture day. Your security rests that you're never forgotten by him. That's a simple and almost silly example, but... Couldn't you apply that to your life? How do I know? I'll tell you how I know. I believe uh, that what Isaiah saw applies to us, and and we can trust that, that once we're undone by the holiness of God, we'll be done with the fear of man. We know that, and here's why. Ask ourselves this question. Where, uh, Where did that lamb come from on the altar? I mean, I mean, there's no record of Isaiah bringing a sacrifice. I mean, there's no record of lamb anywhere in the text. There's, there's no record that Isaiah brought the sacrifice and the angel, you know, took the tongue. So if there's no record of Isaiah bringing anything into the throne room, he's lost, he's undone. If there's no record of Isaiah bringing a lamb into God's own temple, the best I can figure is that there in the temple, in the throne room of God, that sacrifice on that altar could have only been a lamb that God himself 
must have supplied. The only lamb that can take away sin is not the lamb we supply. It's not the lamb we provide. It's the lamb of God, the only begotten son that God himself gave. His only begotten son that he gave for us and our salvation so that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I pray that this message today standing before the holiness of God and the grace of God, that we will be undone in such a way that we'll be done with the fear of man. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I ask just that. I ask for believers who hear this message that they will take fresh courage and that they will, if their security has migrated to idols and other things, they will put their trust and their security back where it belongs, in you and in you alone. That we will have a fresh vision of your holiness. And God, I pray for anyone watching this or seeing this uh, video today or at a later date, if they are not yet saved, if they're not yet a believer, if they've not repented, if they've not repented of their not only their wicked deeds, but even their best attempts at self-righteousness, I pray that they would hear this message, repent and believe and trust in you for salvation before it's too late. I ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. I want to thank you again for being part of the online worship here at Coleman First Baptist. We're in a season where uh, we are in a limited way uh, going back into gathering physically. And so uh, I encourage you after the benediction to stay tuned. And there's a video that we showed, I guess, last Sunday in preparation for today. So take the date, May 24th out, and just insert whatever date, if you've not yet returned to church, whatever date you plan to return, that, that's fine. Uh, it'll still apply. And uh, watch that bit. I encourage you to watch that video. And um, you can laugh at how long the, the, the hair was. We were all in long haircut mode. But, uh, but you can watch that video, and it'll be helpful to sort of tutorial to kind of prepare for when you're ready uh, and comfortable to return to physical worship. Uh, Numbers uh, chapter 6 is our benediction. Wherever you are, if you're able, stand. If you're in a, a living room or a kitchen or a den, or if you're, I suppose, if you're driving down to the beach, uh, you won't be able to stand in your car. But wherever you are, uh, our benediction is number 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And together, all God's people said, amen and amen. I love you. May God bless you. Well, by now, I hope you've heard the news that um, we are planning on Sunday, May 24th here at Coleman First Baptist Church to begin to gather again physically uh, as a church in a controlled, limited, uh, phase one kind of way. As I've said, it won't look anything like what we're used to. And so because of that, I thought it might be helpful to put together this video and we'll walk over to the rock. We'll, we'll show you the entrances and I hope that helps. We've got a six step plan uh, for how to, sort of the six steps on how to return in a, more, in a safer way. The first step of the six steps though, step one is consider. Consider worshiping online a little longer. Why do I say that? Online, our online experience will continue. And 1 Corinthians 6.12 says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. While it may be lawful in the state of Alabama to return to church physically, it may not be beneficial. 
Listen clearly, the Alabama Department of Health guidelines for reopening churches states clearly, strongly encourage all those 65 and older or with underlying medical conditions, these are what they call higher risk uh, categories, uh, strongly encourage them to remain at home and to continue to worship online. That seems like common sense to me. That seems very reasonable to me. And so I am doing just that. I'm encouraging all those to think carefully about whether or not. Now, now the online service next Sunday, it'll premiere at 8 a.m., but then it will just be there online. So several folks have asked me, when will the online service be? That's up to you. You decide what time you want to participate in the online service next Sunday morning, May 24th. You get your very best church pajamas on, and uh, and then you uh, you join in. If you want to join as part of the premiere, uh, that'll be at 8 a.m., but it'll be available uh, at all those times. And then the second step. So step one is consider whether or not you should continue worshiping online. Step two, if it's beneficial for you to gather physically. In other words, if you say, I'm in a lower risk category, I want to uh, worship in person on Sunday, May 24th, We'll have four in-person services at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., and 11 a.m. You say, how do I know which one? We're, we've, we've reserved space based on Sunday school class. So you look and find what time your Sunday school class has been reserved for that space, and that's what time you'll go uh, uh, 8, 9, 10, or 11. That list is available in lots of places. If you haven't seen it yet, email the church. We can get it to you. You say, if I'm not, what if I'm not in a Sunday school class? Or what if I, I have to switch a time? That's fine. Just let the church know by Thursday. Think of it as an RSVP and let us know by Thursday if uh, for some reason you're not in a Sunday school class and you want uh, to, uh, to jump in one of those time slots. All right? Well, those are the first two steps. For the next steps, uh, let's, uh, let's practice. Let's practice uh, uh, entering. Come with me. All right. I've made it through step one and step two. First, step one, I considered, and I do believe it's beneficial for me to come physically. I'm in a low risk group. Okay, great. Step two, I have uh, found out what my service time is. And so I've gone online and by my Sunday school, I figured out, ah, okay, I'm at such and such time. It's a beautiful day here. I'm now, I've arrived here at the church. That brings me to step three. Step three is remain in your vehicle and just until uh, 10 or 15 minutes before your service time. Why do we do that? Well, we're asking everybody to remain, just sit tight and relax and don't enter until just before your service starts. That way we don't create a bottleneck for folks that might still be leaving the previous service. So I've remained in my vehicle. It's now 10 or 15 minutes before my service time is starting. Let's do this. Now I'm able to come on in. So I'm looking forward to a great worship experience. I'm going to uh, see a lot of other folks. And, and here I've come to the door that I've used for years and years. This is my favorite entrance. I use this entrance all the time. And I get here on Sunday only to realize, uh-oh, this, this entrance that I've always used is locked. That's right. The doors that will be open, the entrances that will be open are the entrances by the point and the fellowship hall. Those will be the only doors that will be unlocked and open and, and ready. They'll be wide open and, we can, and you can walk through. Why is that? Well, the thinking is if we uh, don't manage which doors we use, that'll be more surfaces we have to clean. And in this way, we'll be able to better clean and sanitize between each service. So the doors that will be open will be the doors leading to the point, the fellowship hall. They'll be wide open and there'll be folks that can help you with that if you forget. So uh, be thinking about that. So it looks like I've got to get 
to those doors by the point or the fellowship hall, and I'll meet you over there. All right, well, we've made it through the first three steps. We've considered that it is beneficial for us to come and gather physically. We've got the service time in our mind that's been reserved for us, and we've remained in our cars until 10 or 15 minutes before the service time and found one of the open entrances, the fellowship hall and the point. This one, for purposes of illustration, happens to be the fellowship hall. Now, I'm gonna go ahead and put on my handy-dandy mask here, and we'll talk more about this later. And in fact, I better leave it off so you can, you can hear me clearly, but if I'm gonna come in the fellowship hall, I've got two choices. I can take the stairs, or if I prefer the elevator, that'll be right around this corner, and there's an elevator there. In this case, I'll just take the stairs. Now, as I'm walking up these stairs, I'm making my way to something we call the Rock, uh, Recreation Outreach Center. Uh, you may know it as a gym. We're gonna come up these two flights of stairs, as we make our way into the rock, we're ready for step four. Step four is simply pick a place to sit for you and your family in the rock. If you're used to worshiping in the rock, you'll see it's going to look a little different. And if you're used to worshiping in the sanctuary, obviously it's going to look entirely different. But step four is to pick a spot for you and your family. What we'll see is that the seats are arranged in socially distant groups of four. Four chairs are in a little cluster, a little, a little pod, and uh, you'll, you'll sit there and be separate from everybody else. If your family needs more than four chairs, we'll move two pods together and an usher can help you do that and figure out a, a safe way to do that. So let's come on in and let's find our seat in the rock. Now remember, ushers will be on hand to help you find uh, a seat. At any point, if you need any help, they'll have blue vests on and you can uh, uh, ask them to assist you. You see that here with my family, I can seat up to four of us and we're six feet apart from any other group. I'll say it again, if I need more than four chairs, that's no problem at all. I'll just need to get an usher to help and uh, 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 push those together. Now, step five is the one we've all been looking forward to. Step five uh, is worship. And uh, the worship service will be a little shorter maybe than you're used to. That, uh, I'll talk to the preacher about shortening the sermons. Um, I'm going to be wearing a face mask, and we encourage, let's talk about face masks. They're not required, but I'm encouraging everybody who has one to wear one. If you have one from home and you can bring it, great, that would help us out. If you don't have one, we'll, we'll have a few that can be available for you when you come. We should have enough. Um, and so if, if, uh, if you have that, I'll be worshiping. Now, I'll be wearing mine during singing. Maybe that's a blessing. The way I sing, it may be a blessing to uh, people who can't hear it as much. I'll remove it when I preach, and I'll put it right back on. So, uh, uh, I, again, I encourage everybody to do that. Remember, there'll be no nursery or kids' ministry going on, so we may have uh, screaming babies and crying babies, and that's okay, too. But we'll have, the, uh, we'll have them all there in the same service. We'll worship the Lord together. I'll have my, Facebook, uh, my face mask on, and I'll be uh, uh, singing and praising the Lord. And I'll be waving at everyone. No greeting time, no handshakes or hugs. We'll just wave at one another. And then that'll bring us to the end of the service and our final step. Step six, how to exit safely. After the benediction, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to resist the urge to hug and to shake hands and to uh, enjoy that fellowship. And that's what we're really longing for. And I know that. But we're going to open the doors that face Highway 31. These are great doors because they open right out onto the uh, uh, outdoors and gives us nice, easy means of, of exiting. Because passing an offering plate uh, might uh, uh, spread germs around, 
we're doing the offering on the way out. We'll have several of these offering boxes at each exit and uh, we can drop it, uh, drop your offering right in there. These doors will be wide open to the great outdoors. And so step six, our, our final step is we ask that when you exit after the service, if you'll go all the way to your vehicle before you begin a safe, socially distant uh, socializing, all the fellowshipping, if we all do what, what is on our hearts to do, which is to congregate and to love on each other right here, it'll impede the uh, ability to load the next service and to reset. And we've got a cleaning crew that'll begin and has already been uh, uh, working hard at that. So make your way all the way to your car before you engage in that fellowship and that uh, sweet time of seeing each other from a safe six foot distance. And uh, by God's grace uh, and your patience, we look forward to those who are able to gather physically May 24th. May God bless you.